So let's just face the facts this morning, shall we? Let's face the facts. A lot of contemporary preaching is so boring, so colorless, that it probably puts God to sleep. It probably does. And I'm not saying I'm not guilty of the same. <laughs> From time to time. But I know one person who is never guilty of that. And his name is Jesus. Jesus is in no way, shape, or form a boring preacher or teacher. <laughs> in our passage today, Jesus uses shock treatment to jolt his followers out of smug self-righteousness and shameless indecency. These are stark remarks given in love. That's important to remember. These are stark remarks, but they are given in love and they are intended to grab us by the scruff of the neck. You know, like your mother used to do. They're intended to grab us by the scruff of our neck and shake us to our senses. So let us let Jesus do that to us this morning. Our passage today is in Mark chapter 9, verses 42 through 50. 42 through 50. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. Uh, also, these verses are in your bulletin. Mark chapter 9, verses 42 through 50. Let's read them together. Jesus says, If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out and if your foot causes you to stumble cut it off it is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell and if your eye causes you to stumble pluck it out it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves, and be at peace with each other. This is God's word. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this incredible teaching. Thank you for giving us just the most precious gift of all, which is your precious lamb who came to live for us, to die for us, and to rise again for us. And we pray that we would get a new vision of him today so that we might be changed by him from the inside out. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
Okay, so obviously this is some pretty shocking language from Jesus. We've got millstones being tied around necks. We've got limbs being chopped off. We've got people being thrown into hell. Whoa, Jesus. Ease up there a little bit. That's a little intense, don't you think, Jesus? Just ease up a little bit on us, bud. But Jesus can't ease up on us. He can't. Why not? Well, because he loves us too much. He loves us too much to take it easy on us. And it's because he loves us so much that he needs to make sure that we are aware of two very important truths. Number one in your outline. The first important truth that Jesus is showing us is that sin is more serious than we think. Sin is more serious than we think. So here's what's going on in our text today. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we saw Jesus pick up a little child. You remember that? And bear hug the child to make an illustration for his disciples. Well, this is still a part of that teaching. We're still in that setting, okay? And there's no indication in the text that Jesus ever put the child down. So, Jesus is likely still holding on to that child here in our text today. So, his phrase, little ones, in our text, refers then literally to children who believe in Jesus. Okay? He's still using that child as an illustration. It refers literally to children who believe in Jesus. But commentators say that the phrase also refers to new Christians, new believers, baby Christians, little children in Christ. They might be 70 years old, but if they're a new Christian, Jesus calls them little ones. Little ones. Jesus is then almost certainly referring to the man from last week's passage who was casting out demons in Jesus' name and was rebuked by Jesus' arrogant disciples. Again, this is the same context as last week. He's almost certainly referring to the man last week who was casting demons out in his name. And the disciples caused that man to stumble in his attempt to follow Christ and their rebuke of him. And what is the punishment for such an act of causing a new believer to stumble? Well, Jesus tells us it's in verse 42. He says, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Now, the disciples themselves had very likely witnessed or heard about this form of execution. Since it was relatively popular at the time by the Romans, they'd probably actually seen it. 
And there's something particularly horrifying about this image. Being dropped down, 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 down into the darkness. Struggling, fighting, and then hanging motionless in the dark. Hidden from life and the world until you drown. And Jesus says, it would be better for you to have that done to you than what's really coming to you for causing one of his little ones to stumble. Now, why does Jesus use such graphic terms? Because sin is more serious than we think. It's far more serious than we think. And it carries with it far more serious consequences than we think. It does. When you and I, when we think of, quote, serious sins, we think of murder, rape, sexual perversion, etc., things like that. Right? When we think of the biggies, the serious ones, you know, it's murder, rape, stuff like that. But do you see what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that the sin of causing a little child or a new believer to stumble in their walk with Christ is a horrifying sin and one that he does not take lightly. Do you see? Our definition of serious sins apparently is different than Jesus's. He is saying that this particular sin is rightly deserving of the most terrible wrath from God. That's what he's saying in our text today. But he's not done yet. Jesus is not done with the teaching yet. Look at verses 43 through 47. He says, if your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life or enter heaven maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life, to enter heaven crippled than have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Now, the logic here is airtight. <laughs> this is a gross warning. An intense warning, but the logic, it's airtight here. And I'll show you what I mean. Is Jesus saying here that every Christian should enter heaven torn limb from limb? Eyes plucked out, feet cut off. Is that what he's saying? No, that is not what he's saying. 
Again, remember, just a few verses back in Mark's gospel, we saw the disciples wrongly judging a man doing good things in Jesus' name because he was not part of their circle. And Jesus' teaching here is still a part of that context. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, friends, your own sin is serious and extreme enough. So instead of worrying about what other believers are up to, you probably should just worry about yourself. You have enough wickedness in your own life you should probably just be concerned about that. Stay in your lane. Keep your eyes on your own paper. Just how serious is their sin? Well, Jesus uses three extreme examples to get across the seriousness of his disciples' sin. Their sin is so awful and so devastating that if cutting off their arms and legs would help eradicate it, then that's what they should do. That's how bad their sin is. And Jesus is telling us the same thing here today. Our own sins are so horrifying that we don't need to worry a second about our neighbor's sin. Not even for one second should we bother with the sins of our neighbor. We've got major problems ourselves, major. In fact, our own sin is so terrible, if gouging out our eyes would get rid of it, then that, that's exactly what we should do. Again, the logic here is airtight. Important note, Jesus is not saying that gouging out our eyes and cutting off our limbs would actually get rid of sin. It's not what he's saying. Not at all. We know from Jesus' other teachings, just a few chapters back, if you remember, that sin resides where? In our hearts. In our hearts. It is out of a man's heart that wickedness comes, that evil thoughts and desires come. Not our arms and our legs and our eyes. He's just saying that if, if cutting off your limbs would get rid of sin, then you should do it. You should do it. And the logic here is perfect. If sin is that bad, if it really is that bad, then you should gouge out your eyes if that would work. But actually, cutting off your leg isn't going to help you. Cutting off your feet is not going to help your walk with Christ. It will not. In fact, your sin is so serious and so terrible that even cutting off your, eye, off your limbs and cutting out your eyes won't help. You can gouge out both eyes, cut off your arms and legs, and you will still be as wicked as from the top of your head to the soles of your, well, it'll be nubs at that point. To your nubs, you'll be wicked from the top of your head all the way down to your nubs, even after cutting off your arms and legs. 
and you will enter hell with no eyes, no arms, and no legs. So cutting off your eyes, cutting out your eyes, cutting off your legs will not help. It will not help any of us. So, what then will help us? If sin is that bad, that serious, we need some major help. Major help. What will help us? That brings us to point number two in your outline. The cure is more shocking than we think. The cure for our sin is more shocking than we think. I mean, if you thought the consequences for sin was shocking, wait till you see what the cure for sin looks like. It's pretty intense. Gouging out our eyes and cutting off our hands and feet won't cure our sin problem. Since sin comes from the heart, we need a heart transplant. A full-on heart transplant. But how on earth do we get that? How do we get a heart transplant? Jesus closes this teaching with verses 49 and 50. Verse 49. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. Now, what does Jesus mean that everyone will be salted with fire? Now, all commentators agree that this is a difficult text to interpret. It's difficult. William Barclay says it's the most difficult text to interpret in the New Testament. (laughs) But I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a shot. Let's let the Bible interpret the Bible. I think that's probably the best way forward. The best way to interpret really difficult texts is to let the Bible speak about it. So let's do that. In the Old Testament, the Jewish sacrifices for sin on the altar involved both salt and fire. Both salt and fire. According to the Jewish law in the book of Leviticus, Every sacrifice offered to God must be salted before it was offered to God on the altar. Then any offering laid on the altar would be consumed with fire. The burnt offering was the complete destruction of the animal in an effort to renew the relationship between the holy God and sinful Israel. But what does all this mean? What is all this sacrifice stuff in the Old Testament in in Leviticus about? Did the blood of goats and lambs really remove a person's sin? The writer of Hebrews says, no, it does not. Not at all. So what then were all the sacrifices in the Old Testament really about? What were they about? If they didn't actually remove your sin, 
Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us that they were only shadows of things to come. The sacrifices were essentially tangible prophecies pointing forward to something greater coming in the future. But what is that? What were they pointing to? About six months ago, a, a Christian friend of mine, he came into my office just totally distraught. It was clear he had been crying. He sat down on my couch and I asked him what was going on. And he said he was torn up inside because he had been reading Mark's gospel. And he came to verse 42. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. He then explained to me that many years prior, he had caused a little child to stumble. And then he looked at me with tears rolling down his face. And he said, is this what Jesus thinks of me? Is this my punishment? To have a millstone tied around my neck and thrown into the sea. I paused for a second. And then, then I looked at him. And then with all seriousness said, absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus could not be clearer. That is the just punishment for your sin. And that is exactly what do you deserve. And my friend, he just, he hung his head in devastation. And then I said, but my friend, my friend, your punishment has already been handed out. He said, what do you mean? I said, oh, there was a millstone handed out for your sin. But it wasn't tied around your neck. It was tied around Jesus' neck. And he was cast into the darkness in your place. He took the punishment for your sin on your behalf. And this is what the Old Testament sacrifices were foreshadowing. They were pointing us to the much greater sacrifice to come. 
the ultimate and final sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Slain for your sins and for my sins. You see, Mark's gospel doesn't end at verse 48. And thank God. (laughs) Because if it did, we'd be in big, big trouble. We'd all be lost in hell forever. But no, it doesn't end there, does it? Thank you, Jesus. You see, Mark is telling us the greatest story that has ever been told. That's what the gospel is. It is the greatest story that has ever been told. And Jesus foreshadows the glorious climax of that story here in verse 49 when he says everyone will be salted with fire. Yes, your sin is extremely serious and deserves the greatest of punishments. But that punishment has already been handed out. The perfect Lamb of God was hung on an old rugged cross to absorb your punishment for your sin in your place. And that is the story Mark is telling us. Jesus had the millstone tied around his neck. Jesus was torn limb from limb Jesus was salted with the fire of God's wrath for you and for me. Don't you see? The salt and the fire here reference the gospel. The gospel. The glorious gospel. And when Jesus says everyone will be salted with fire, that's exactly what he means. Every sin of every man will be dealt with and punished. Either at Calvary or in hell. But all sin will be cleansed and purified with fire. Either at Calvary or in hell. Justice will be served completely in either of those two places. To become a Christian then is to first see the seriousness of your own sin. I heard a a preacher say one time to the lost people in the room, he said, you know, you just made some mistakes. You just, you just fell off the path. It's time to get back on the path and be saved. And anger welled up within me because huh, I thought to myself, no, no, no. 
I didn't just make some mistakes. I didn't just fall off the path. I was an active member of the devil's army. I voluntarily enlisted in the devil's army and with every ounce of my being fought against my creator since I was born. That is what I'm guilty of and that is what everyone in this room is guilty of. We've not made some mistakes. We've voluntarily sided with the devil. That's what we've done. Our entire lives, that's what we've done. And that's the first step to becoming a Christian, is seeing the seriousness, the reality of your sin. To see that it is so serious and so horrifying that it required the death of God to save you. Do you see? The cure is more shocking than we thought. To save us, it required the mutilation and death of God to save us. Yeah, sin is pretty serious. But thankfully, so is the cure. The cure is real serious too. And that's the second step. Becoming a Christian, then second of all, means turning to the Father and praying in the deepest humility, Lord, I am a sinner deserving of eternal punishment in hell for what I've done. But I know now that Jesus endured hell on the cross for me in my place. And Father, I believe in Him. And I trust in Him to be my substitute. I trust in Him to take my place, to endure your wrath on my behalf. That's what becoming a Christian means. It doesn't mean turning over a new leaf. It doesn't mean jumping back on the path that you fell off. It means full repentance for your horrifying sins. And it means full belief in Jesus to be your substitute. That's what it means. And if that's you right now, if that's you right now, for the first time you see the, serious, the seriousness of your sin and the shocking reality that it required the death of God's Son to cure your sin, well then, congratulations. You're a Christian. You're a Christian. You just became a Christian right here, right now, where you sit. Congratulations. It is simply through faith and faith alone in the crucified and risen Christ that you have received this instant heart transplant that you so desperately need. Congratulations.
I'll see you in heaven. And we'll rejoice together forever with our new hearts that we've been given by grace.